0: This morning's passage is Acts uh, chapter 17, verses 16 to 34. Um, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him, some of them asked, what is, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus, the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what is the new teaching, uh, sorry, may we know what this new teaching is, that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around, And looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription. To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And does not live in temples built by human hands. And he has not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather... some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world, With justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, I'm going to leave with there. Uh, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Thank you very much,
1: Lewis. Excellent wrestling with the Greek names. Um, I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word, and we thank you for this story of how the message about Jesus went out into all of the world, every different type of culture. And we pray as we look at it today that by your spirit, you'd speak to us, change us, form us, assure us, fill us with joy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Just to add to Naomi's notice about prayer and praise this evening, it is great to uh, do that. So if you're free to come, please come along. I can't tell you like what a great time we've had the last few months of being together. We do the first one of every month. The last one, we couldn't like stop people singing. People were like giving requests and we just kept... Worshipping together is great, so thoroughly recommend if you're free to come, we'd love you to join us. Um, and also to say, if you want the transcript, it's ChristchurchLiverpool.org slash transcript if you'd like to follow along, written notes. Great. Someone I know who uh, is clever, maybe, I think that's the wrong presentation, yeah, there we go, who is clever uh, is writing a book. Well, he thinks He's clever. He's a very clever person, and he put on social media, I'm writing a book, it's finding a halfway house between atheism, the belief there's no God, and organised religion, like his name, Christianity, and finding a halfway house between it. He put that on social media. Well, some Lots of people replied saying, there is actually something that exists already. You know, you think you're clever? You should have heard of agnosticism, which is like saying there might be a God. That's the halfway house, isn't there? And he said, no, no, no. Um, there's like a halfway house as then you can sort of half believe in God. Well, that got all the atheists and religious people (laughs) cross. All of them were saying, no, we're divided by quite a simple question. Is there a God or not? The answer can't be sort of, yeah. That's not halfway. It's either yes or no. Ah, said my clever friend. It all depends by what you mean by the word God. Which just goes to show that if you say something stupid enough, you can irritate everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a world like ours, um, influenced by Christianity, in a country like ours, influenced by Christianity, but definitely not Christian, I think you'll find outside our church meetings, most people you meet are not what I would describe as like hardcore atheists. They're much more like what you might describe as pagan. Now, paganism is an actual religious system in itself. I'm not using the word that way here. I'm meaning like people have spiritual beliefs, most of which aren't any organised religion. That's probably what you find as you talk to people who don't go to church. And they're like my friend writing the book. They say, I do believe in God, But I don't mean what you mean by God. I mean something different. Well, the book of Acts is about what Jesus continued to do through his church after ascending into heaven and filling his people with his spirit. And this part of the book of Acts is about what it's like when that message about Jesus is taken in the power of the Holy Spirit to the quote-unquote pagan world. That is the world where people had spiritual beliefs, but not beliefs that like Judaism or Christianity, you know, beliefs where they say, yes, I believe in God, but I believe something different. And when the gospel means, uh, meets that world, we see that sort of sparks fly. We've seen that evil is exposed and undone. We see that spiritual forces are at work in the world, and they're unmasked. And we saw last week that even though the method of Christians doing that is just gently sharing with people, not trying to cause a revolution, just opening the Bible and saying, here is Jesus, powerful people don't like that. And they try and put it down. You end up belonging to this sort of subversive revolutionary religion, even if that's not what you meant. That's what it's like. And Act 17, we're really getting to uh, from what it's like, to what was the church saying? Jesus' spirit-filled body, what was the church saying to these pagan cultures? How does the message about Jesus confront cultures which have like God talk, but a confusing mix of what they mean by God? You know, people use the word God, but they don't mean what I mean. That's the world that I live in. Maybe it's the world you live in. And maybe you're here today and that's actually you. You think, yeah, I'm here because I've got some sense of what's spiritual, but I don't sign up to what you're putting forward. Great, this should be useful for you. The Epicureans who are mentioned in this passage in uh, verse 18, they didn't believe in anything spiritual. They only believed in material stuff. But Paul's still talking to them because he's saying to them, well, that might be your view, But that's a sort of fringe view. As you look in the culture around you, every culture in the world thinks there's something spiritual. What do we make of that? And that's the same as where we live today. There's an irrepressible urge to believe there's something more than what we see. In Athens, that was an altar to an unknown god. So they put up an altar and said, there might be a god we haven't found out about yet, so you can worship him here. But our culture is full of altars to the unknown God. It's there in my friend's book, trying to find a halfway house between atheism and faith. So you think there's something spiritual there. Or uh, you will have seen coming up um, on the screen, lots of people when bad things happen in the world, they say, pray for Ukraine. It's interesting that, isn't it? It's like, what do you mean pray? Or you see uh, Disney films, I and mean, Disney films and Pixar films, they're great. You never get in the musical ones of those films, like a song, that's like, oh, Mirabelle, there is no point to life. You're just made of atoms accidentally coming together. Stop trying to find your purpose, the end. <laughs> it's not how they run, is it? They sense there's something spiritual, and are aiming for it. So we're not much into altars, but our culture is littered with what the Athenians were up to here. And there were these groups of people, the Epicureans and Stoics, they basically thought, this confusion isn't good enough, we need to try and find out the truth. And they were really confused as Paul talked to them. I think what's going on is they think, in verse 18, he's introducing two more gods to them. A god called Jesus and a god called the Resurrection. They're like, no, we don't need any more of those, thanks. And Paul this early christian is pointing out to these clever people you know it's not satisfactory to say there's nothing spiritual because every culture believes there is but neither is it satisfactory to to accept a whole lot of vague contradictory messy nonsense about spiritual stuff i mean if you're writing a book about the halfway between atheism and religion leaving it vague you know that's a market It will help you sell a book. You know there's something, but it's just unknown. It's not vague. It's vague. It's uncertain. And Paul's saying that won't do. And it won't do because of Jesus. Given that Jesus actually died and came back and given what he's told us about God, there's three things he says to these cultures you need to stop thinking. Here's the first one. It was what we talked about in the children's talk. Creators don't need houses. Creators don't need houses. It's strange, isn't it, that when we feel our need of God, that strange figure beyond us that we can never seem to get rid of, that we end up doing something religious. Particularly, we build buildings. Um, At my kids' school recently, they were singing a song that they'd made up about what a wonderful, diverse city, Liverpool is. And one of the lines in the song was like, we're really diverse because we've got cathedrals and mosques and synagogues. We're very spiritual, why? Because we have lots of houses for God to live in. And you'll find that all across the world, tributes scattered across the skylines of cities everywhere. Some of them even say, when you go in the door, this is the house of God, places for him to live. There's this strange religious impulse do something for God, do a ritual or build a building. And Paul's first thing that he says to them, verse 22 onwards to these religious people, is saying, okay guys, be consistent. If God is capable of receiving your worship, of answering your prayers, he probably doesn't need you to build him a house. If God is capable of answering our prayers for Ukraine, if you're talking to a being who can change things in the world, what reason would he have for you to build a house for him to live in? For what reason would, in fact, would he be sitting in heaven, sort of crying into his tea, wishing that you would come to church? His house, apparently. When at the same time you're saying, oh, you can do something about the war in Ukraine. If he's that powerful, he doesn't live in a house. We did a thing recently at The Hub, which is our small groups ministry that meets in the city centre, where we asked some people with different views of the world, not Christian worldviews, to come and evangelise us. So tell us what they think about And someone came to talk to us about stoicism, which is one of the things mentioned in this passage, The View of the World, which is basically saying reach for virtue all the time to become a better person, even if it really hurts you. So it's like stoicism is like going for a really painful run because you think it will make you a better person. It's interesting. And when someone said, where does God fit into stoicism? He said, well, you can't be sure there's a God. But if there is, he'll be pleased if you've tried to be a really virtuous person. Which maybe makes sense to some people. Paul says in this passage, the opposite is true. He says, uh, God, in verse 25, is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. If God made heaven and earth, if he created everything in the world, what need does he have of you to try and be virtuous? So just as an aside, just Paul is underlining here the absolute pointlessness of trying to get people who aren't Christians to be good people. That is not our business. There's no point in that. We can't be about imposing morality on people who don't know God. Paul says God isn't interested in that. Why would he need that? The real truth is this. God doesn't need anything because life itself is made by him. And that is his gift to us he is not standing around waiting for us to do something useful for him now the god we imagine would be just like that just like us a big version of me you know like me but bigger up there easily made lonely waiting for someone to I don't know sing him a song or whatever but the real god doesn't need us to build him a house to give he doesn't need religious observance He can achieve his purposes. Religion really is not a ploy to get people to behave because God doesn't need that. The God who made everything doesn't need us to behave. This life we have, that is a gift from him. How do we know God's like that? Well, Paul is going to say at the end of his speech, he became a person and he came back from the dead. And if that's true, if he can do that, he doesn't need you to be good. Do you know, a lot of people, though they believe in the half-truth, they have an altar to the unknown God, they think there's something spiritual out there, they're put off organised religion because they think we're saying this wrong thing, this nonsense thing. They think what we're about is trying to control people's behaviour. But I want to introduce you to God today. I'm not introducing you to him as the needy man in the sky who you can serve by going to old buildings where he loves to see people perform out of date rituals. Neither am I trying to get you to change your behaviour because God is keeping a tally of things and he would really like you to do the good thing. Paul says, in a pagan culture like ours, that's just not what he's like. And I'm sorry that so many Christians, even churches, dress it all up that way. Do our ritual. Obey our morality. If the real God made the real world, he does not need you to do anything for him. That is what we imagine when we think we're making God up ourselves. But it leads to confusion. And it's an unattractive confusion. Who wants a life filled with empty morality? Not me. Probably not you. Good. That's not what's on offer. If the God Jesus shows us is there, why would he need us? To do that here's the second thing he says these cultures have got to stop believing should come up on the screen forces don't have children that uh, uh disney's getting a hard time today that's esmeralda from the hunchback of notre dame not really a classic disney movie to be honest but useful for a talk illustration she sings a song in the film the hunchback of notre dame which has the line in, in it which says I don't know if you can hear me or if you're even there. There she is with her altar to the unknown God. And then the song ends saying, I thought we all were children of God. So God, I think you're there, some sort of force, and I think we're all your children. If he was there, we'd all be his children. And Paul, uh, that's in a Disney film, that was a common theme even in the ancient world. Paul quotes a poet in the ancient world who had said that. We are God's offspring. It's an interesting and comforting idea, isn't it, that we're all children of God? Well, sort of. It, it's just a bit tricky, isn't it? its If God is, as everyone seems to be saying he is, this sort of impersonal force, hard to reach, mystical, impossible to understand, you know, he's like magic, He's like gravity. He's like electricity. A force out there. It's not really very comforting being a child of that, is it? Here's a great comfort for you today, everybody. We're all children of gravity. It's not very comforting, is it? The category of children doesn't come into play unless we are talking about something, or rather, someone personal. With a personality. So Paul says listen the idea that we're all God's children we are created to relate to him as a father that's right but that means we need to totally ditch the idea that he's a force out there. Impersonal, distant, magic. You cannot have a halfway house between atheism and belief depersonalizing God. You know God is just the love we find in the universe because the love we find in the universe doesn't have children. Impersonal forces don't have relationship. But here's the good news. The real God who is out there does long for us to have a relationship of parent and child with him. That instinct is right. In fact, the reason that he made us at all, that he used his creative power, was so we could relate to him in that way. Paul says he's not far from any of us, but only a God who has a personality is capable of being a father. Do you realise that we start down the wrong road and we end up in a total mess? We think there's an impersonal force who's out there, and then we begin to think, oh, well, if he's out there, he must want some religious observance, some miserable, boring ritual, and maybe an expensive building so he feels appreciated. Oh, it's so dull. It's so empty. But Paul says the facts, they're much better. The facts are, God is in himself a relationship of love, giving, personal, and he's made us because he wants us to share in that, to know him that way. And he's not far from anybody. It's not hard to begin that relationship. When we begin with only the dangerous half-truth, oh, there's a God, but I've redefined God. And we have a sense that we are his offspring you, you just need to remember, forces don't have children. Fathers have children. It's not great to be God's child if God's a force. But it's really great to be God's child if God is an amazing relationship of love and is calling each of us to know him as a cared for child, a valued, enjoyed friend, as a perfectly loved family member because he's personal, and loving and real in fact Paul goes further he says he's arranging history out of his love so that people can know and experience that I don't know how you've ended up at church today I wonder it was a chaotic experience getting here did you wake up late were you up late last night did you scramble out of bed and fall into church today Was it total chaos and unplanned that you made it here in the end? It wasn't unplanned by God. He puts people in particular places at particular times because he wants them to know him as a father. How do we know that God's like that? Not just a force, but a father? Well, you'd sort of, I guess, need to meet one of his children, his child his son, wandering around. And Paul says that's what happens. His son became a human being who came back from the dead. Forces don't have children. Fathers do. Third thing Paul says to this uh, culture, he says to them, you can't design God. You can't think up God. Here's the thing Paul says, if he's real and like this, We've just got to stop imagining for ourselves what he's like. We shouldn't think he's like the statues and paintings and buildings that people make to represent him. How could those be accurate if he made us? This is where Paul's really going for the jugular. But he says all of this different business of people from different cultures expressing their views of God in different ways, through like Buddhas and statues of Vishnu and totem poles and statues of the Virgin Mary and stained glass windows, none of them can be accurate because God made us. We didn't make him. Those things are very interesting insights into the diversity of human culture, but they don't tell us about God. How could they? No one invented God. Now, let's not be culturally snobby here. We might think, oh yes, we're very modern Western people. We don't have idols set up. People in the West tend to be less into making statues of metal or statues or mental. We say, I believe in God as long as he agrees with my thing, but like I've imagined about him. As long as he agrees with my pre-decided view of this, as long as he'll let me want to do with my life, then I will believe in him. We are weird like that, aren't we? It's like me saying, I'll believe my car is outside at the moment as long as I can have a coffee after church. They're totally unrelated things but that is what we do with God we say yes I'll believe in him if he will just be as I've imagined so you get people I've actually given a little talk on this once to a group of people who weren't Christians and at the end I was chatting to somebody who wasn't a Christian and they basically said "Uh, personally I do think God is a force who has children and also who loves all the things that I love and also who hates all the things that I hate I said, who's creating who here? Some people know their biological parents, some people don't, but it was they in some way who created you. You can't say, you know, mum, you can be responsible for creating me as long as you give me ginger hair. It's just not how it works. If you were created by them, then you were created by them. You don't get to choose what they're like. It is just as Paul says, he uses a very harsh word, he says ignorance. And the thing is, it's fine to hold a lot of uh, mutually contradictory beliefs if they're the only ones you've got. But Paul says, now the time where you can hold those beliefs is over because Jesus has come back from the dead. That's the last thing we see. God says, Change your mind. God says, Change your mind. If all we'd been left with were our impressions of God we've gained from the world to discuss and swap, there would be every reason to point to God and say, How can you expect us to know you accurately? We've never met you. We have as much chance of knowing you as we have of knowing the architect of this building from the way it's designed. Can you imagine if it did work that way, by the way? You would not be very excited about meeting that person. Anyway. Yeah, this design. Anyway. <laughs> but he's saying that's not all we have. Paul says God came in the form of a person, Jesus Christ. Could he have made it easier to understand what he's like? He came as a human being. He lowered himself to be like us so we could see perfectly what he knows and loves and cares about. That he invented us and we didn't invent him. Jesus. God as a person expresses that clearly and also compellingly and beautifully and what's more he made it clear what God thinks is important one day Paul says he will judge the world with justice and righteousness. If you live in a pagan culture as we all do people where they have spiritual beliefs it might surprise you that Paul jumps in to talk about judgment I don't know how much you share your faith with people, but that's often the bit we like to keep in the back drawer. You know, I will bring it out if necessary. But I just want to point out that pagan cultures like ours are not actually nervous about the concept of judgment, are they? People in our culture are incredibly morally aware and judgy. Uh, Social media doesn't create that, but it's definitely given a platform for it, hasn't it? People love judgement, they love it. Council culture, if you think it exists. And do you notice that in our culture, judgement is always in a cycle? Uh, We've had it this week. An MP, some nameless MP, is watching porn in Parliament. An MP goes on TV to say, this is really terrible. This should be investigated. It's a very bad thing and everybody agrees. Judge, 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 that terrible MP who's watching Born in Parliament. Oh, turns out it was the MP on TV who was saying we should investigate it. Who was the one who was doing it? We love judgment, but there's no one you can trust to do It's that the cycle that we live in. We love to jump on the judgment bandwagon, and then you discover the person whose bandwagon you're on is just as bad as the people you're judging. So we love judgment, we just don't... Have anyone to do the judging. That urge for wrongs to be righted is right. And Paul heads into this pagan culture and says, hey, everyone, there is someone you can trust to do that job and they're going to do it. The problem with judgment is that if he's doing it, Jesus, I'm going to be held to his standard too. That's what I don't like. The problem isn't the idea of judgment, the problem is pride. Listen, all sorts of people think that if God, the magnetic magic force, does meet them, he will have to welcome them in with his large magnetic gravitational arms because they are, after all, his offspring somehow produced with a personality from this mysterious force, and he won't pronounce any moral verdict on them because he doesn't do that. Although, actually, I have been pretty moral should he end up doing that. I should be okay as long as he ignores really bad things. That is the mess of inconsistent beliefs that lots of people hold. And Paul says God's made his reality very clear by coming and living out in the person of Jesus the ultimate self-giver. And he's then said, this only truly good person, he is the one who's going to be given the job of judging everybody. The moment for weird, inconsistent, stupid beliefs, it's past. Some people hear that the claim of Christians, like in this story, that Jesus actually died and actually came back to life, and they sneer. You can't seriously believe that. People don't come back from the dead. Someone actually said that to me once. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Yes, I do. People don't come back from the dead. As if I was going to go, what? Like, really? <laughs> I, you know, try and organise parties in graveyards. That's been, you know, this confusing thing. No, people don't come back from the dead. Jesus came back from the dead. That's Paul's point. He's the only one who's done it. He's the one who makes all the pieces of the jigsaw fit together. The Epicureans sneered at that, it's scientifically impossible. Yes, it is scientifically impossible, that's why we think it's worth noting. But some people said they wanted to consider this, and in fact some people believed Paul's message, even amongst these intellectual discussors of ideas. And let me tell you, people of all backgrounds and intellects and experiences have been coming to believe in this truth since. But the only reason to believe it is because Jesus came back from the dead. Here's the point. If you're not a Christian today, I'm quoting Paul here, it's not me, it's him. The real God commands you, he commands you to abandon your self-contradictory mess of ideas about God based on guesswork and trust in the truth that Jesus shows. And if Jesus came back from the dead, which is really the thing you've got to work out whether you believe, if that's true, there can be no excuse for ignoring him. But if you're becoming a Christian today, you're not bypassing your intellect for some leap in the dark. You're actually abandoning messy beliefs that all overlap with each other and don't make any sense. And trusting in something, there's every good reason to believe because Jesus gives you that reason. He's proved that he is the one who will do the final judging. So he's the one you need to make sure you're right with. Saying, there is a God, yeah, 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 but I define God like this. That is not going to cut it anymore. If Jesus rose from the dead, he is the God need to deal with and if you're wandering through this world as a Christian pushed by the spirit to engage with this world where people aren't all you know saying there's no God but actually have their own set of spiritual beliefs well here are the things we should gently respectfully but clearly be saying if God is real as you think he is he doesn't need you to go somewhere or do something If you can be his child, he must be a heavenly father. And if you want proof of that, Jesus is the one who shows it. He's the only one with the character to make good judgments. He's the one you need to do business with. That's what the church goes into the world, led by Jesus' spirit, to say.